0: Well, this is Holy Trinity Sunday, um, but since um, it is so easy to fall into heresy... When you're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, um, that's not the sermon you're going to get today. Um, we're actually going to look at the lections. But if you want to um, hear more about the Trinity, then I really encourage you to go to Father Cameron's class that started this morning at 9.30, um, because he's going to be skittering around um, and making sure that he does doesn't fall into heresy. No, uh, it's a great class, so I really encourage you to go along to it. But we're looking at both uh, the epistle, Paul's epistle, to the second epistle, to the Corinthians, and to the gospel. So the gospel finds uh, the disciples once again on the mountain. It's, of course, not the first time. They've been with Jesus on many mountain experiences. Uh, the Transfiguration, the Mount of Olives, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And now, after uh, Jesus has been resurrected, right before he is ascending to the Father, he comes amongst them on the mountain. And when he does so, most, although not all, worship him. This is the wrap-up of Matthew's gospel. And it's the fulfillment of what was pronounced at the beginning, and that is that Emmanuel was going to be with us, God incarnate, God coming and walking amongst his people. And so, what was thought as a failed project with this Jewish carpenter turned itinerant rabbi turned failed Messiah has actually been proven to be true that this is very God who walked with us, who walked with the disciples, and they worship him in his resurrected body. Not only that, but we find that there's been another, there's been a huge reversal that has taken place. You remember at the beginning when Jesus is tempted in the desert, that the enemy of our souls, the Satan, had tempted him by saying, since he was the ruler of all of the world, that he could give that authority to Jesus, but that would have been through tyranny and through power. But now, Jesus says, having gone through crucifixion, death, and out the other side of death to resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth ...has been given to me. In other words, Satan has already received a death blow. Jesus is even now the ruler of the world. Although it is not as yet as he fully intends it to be. At the end of the age, all that has already been done will come to its fulfillment. But even now... He is the ruler of the world, not in its fullness. But before he comes again, until he returns, we're responsible for spreading the news that he is Lord and by spreading his rule. And there are at least two ways, many more, of doing that. The first one is to live according to the ways that Jesus taught and that are recorded throughout Matthew in Jesus' discourses. If you look through there, you'll see in some Bibles, I'll give you an outline, there are five kind of separate discourse places within Matthew. Of course, there's the Sermon on the Mount. There are all those teachings and so... One of the ways that we spread Jesus' rule as king, even now of the world, is to follow in the ways that he taught. And Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians, kind of sums up that as well. Throughout his epistles, he's just reiterating what Jesus has said in the Gospels, in his teachings. But in today's reading, he says this, Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will will be with you. In other words, the reconciling love of God that reconciled the world to himself is is that basis in which we are to live our lives, individually and as a community. Where there are grievances, gossip and factions, where those exist, Jesus is actually betrayed. Yet again, we are reminded... That our life together as a Christian community is to be marked by reconciliation and peace. Disunity and division have no place in a Christian community. We are rather to reflect the very life of God. For the very essence of God is this relational God this relational love that we see in the life of the one God in Trinity of Persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. People have described it as a dance of love, self-sufficient love within the Trinity. We need somebody to be able to love. Love is relational. We can't just love in a vacuum. And the Trinity is self-sufficient love. We weren't created because God was lacking something. We were created because God loves. He did not need to create anything. That wonderful passage that was read this morning as God creates, just kind of breathes into being, speaks into being all of creation. And how it's good, and it's good, and it's good, and it's very good. You just hear the love of God poured out in this way in the works of theologian Mark McIntosh, not only are we invited into the conversation of God's Trinitarian love, we turn out to be part of the subject matter of the conversation. We are what God is talking about. Imagine that in the Trinity. We are what God is talking about. We matter to God, not because God depends on us in order to be God, but because in and through the activity of creating, redeeming, and sanctifying us, God has freely chosen a communion of love and freedom. You've maybe heard me talk of one of my favorite uh, contemplative writers, mystics um, in the church. Julian of Norwich uh, was writing, lived in the late 13th, early 14th centuries in uh, Norfolk in England, uh, actually where my parents retired to when they were still living. Uh, Julian, this was a time of wars. Uh, It was an uncertain time. It was a very scary time because the bubonic plague, the Black Death, was, um, in some cases, killed 50% of the population. And that was so in Norfolk. There was a big trade between that area, between East Anglia and the continent, wool, a lot of wool. And so the plague was just coming, and we know that it came with the rats and all of that. And so she came close to death. In fact, she was given the last rites in the church. And at that point she has 16 visions that God sends her. And uh, she recovers finally, eventually, and she spends all of the years afterwards contemplating the meaning of these visions. She becomes an anchorite, which meant that she was basically uh, a, a, a A room was built around her. There was no door. There was a window. Um, She had a maid who'd come and, and bring her food. And then people would come by the window for counsel from her. But as she reflected over all of this time what God meant by giving her these revelations, And she comes with that response, this response. Fifteen years and more later, my spiritual understanding received an answer, which was this. Do you want to know what your Lord meant? Know well that love was what he meant. Who showed you this? Love. What did he show Love, why did he show it to you? For love. Hold fast to this, and you will know and understand more of the same. But you will never understand or know from it anything else for all eternity. This, she said, is how I was taught that our Lord's meaning was love. And I saw quite certainly in this and in everything that God loved us before he made us. And his love has never diminished and never shall. See, so you and I, each one, were created in love by the three-personed God. We are miraculous Freely loved into existence beings. We need never have existed. We exist because God delights and chooses that we should. Our existence is God's free gift. God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Our essence as human beings, both male and female, was created as a reflection of God. Think upon this. The God of the universe, who flung stars in the sky, black holes that we don't even understand. We'll probably never plumb the depths. He created you individually. He created you out of love. He created you uniquely. He loves you uniquely. He delights in you, not for anything that you have done, but purely and simply because he created you in love. We were created in the love of God the Father, redeemed in the love of God the Son, and are being sanctified in the love of God, the Holy Spirit. But this love, which is individual, which is for each one of us individually, draws us into the love life of the Trinity, and in doing so, draws us into a community, into a fellowship, A koinonia is the Greek word, this amazing fellowship of love. And in this fellowship of love, we are to exhibit God's own life of love to each other, but not just to each other. We are also to go out of those doors And bring about Jesus' rule by sharing that life of love with the world of darkness outside who do not know how beloved they are of God. They do not know that they've been created in the love of God, sustained in the love of God It's a command. Jesus, as he is leaving his disciples, commands them. It's not a request. He commissions them and he has commissioned us to go out. By virtue of our baptism, we have each one of us been commissioned to be evangelists. Seems like a scary word sometimes. But we have been commissioned to share the good news of Jesus to make disciples of those who do not yet follow him as Lord and King. Firstly, he says, we're to make disciples of all nations. Now, that seems like a really tall order, doesn't it? When we think of all of the nations of the world, but we do it one person at a time. Just one person at a time. For as Paul says in his letter to the Romans, how can they call on him to save them Unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? We are to tell them that's what Jesus left with all of his disciples, not just the 12. Matthias, who made up the number to the 12, not just them. They were disciples who made disciples, and those disciples made disciples, and we were discipled, and we are to disciple. And the minute that those people are brought to a saving faith in Jesus, they are to be baptized. It's not optional, Jesus says at the end of his gospel go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the one God Father Son and Holy Spirit because baptism is that public affirmation that sacrament by which we are sealed by God's Holy Spirit marked as Christ's own forever and become sons and daughters of the Most High King, of the God who created us in love. And thirdly, we are to teach those who have now come into this family of God. And that's an ongoing, lifelong learning. We are, all of us, both teachers and learners, all the time. We are to teach and we are to learn, and oftentimes we learn by teaching. As if you remember my story, that was certainly true and continues to be true for me. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them, teach them in the ways of life, in the life of God, the one God, the one true God, in the ways that Jesus revealed to us. But of course we don't do any of this in our own strength. As Jesus follows up, and lo, I am with you, always, even to the end of the age. It's only through His authority, through His power, through His being with us, that we can do what He has commissioned us to do. All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to him. And because he is with us also, that authority and that power also resides in us because he does. So dearly Mm -hmm. beloved, let us live in the love of the triune God, sharing that love with those who do not yet know they are beloved of God. And let us be a community that reveals That love, in the words of St. Paul, put things in order, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.